morning, church family. It's good to be here with you. I'd like to thank the Freak Snowstorm for the opportunity to preach this morning. And I want to say hi to Pastors Al and Pastor Kevin. They're on their flight right now, so we pray for their safe travel home. Take your Bibles, open up to John chapter 3. We're going to read verse 16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Give us grace this morning as we worship King Jesus. And we ask in the name of Jesus, our elder brother and king, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe... I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. C.S. Lewis. I believe in the religion of Islam. I believe in Allah and peace. Muhammad Ali. I don't have a religion. I believe in a God. I don't know what it looks like, but it's my God. My interpretation of the supernatural. Jennifer Aniston. I believe if you keep your faith, you keep your trust, you keep your right attitude, if you're grateful, you'll see God open new doors. Now, before you say amen, that's Joel Olstein. Sure, I believe in God and the devil, but they don't have to have pitchforks and a long white beard. Keanu Reeves. I believe in God, only I spell it nature. Frank Lloyd Wright. This past week, I attended a trade show at the Novi Suburban uh, Showplace. It's called the MGIA Trade Show, or the Michigan Green Industry Association. I went with my new company. Um, Yes, I did get a new job. Finally got a job that I've been wanting for some time now. And yeah, the Lord has been good. Um, So yes, I am still in the landscape industry. Yes, I will still answer your questions about plants. But no, it's not free. I'm kidding. I mean, I got to live, right? Cost to live. The keynote speaker was, um, his name was Gabe Karp, a famous author. I've never heard of this guy until this trade show. So famous for people, but not me. His speech was about conflict in the workplace. How to identify it and how to solve it using different tactics. And conflict isn't just something that is seen in the workplace, it's everywhere, literally everywhere. It's in our homes, sometimes it's in church, it's on the roads as we drive, it's while we're raising kids, it's in politics. There's fighting and conflict everywhere. And sometimes we like to fight and bring on conflict just because we want to be right. And we have to be right, even if it's about something that has zero value. For example, I think hockey is a superior sport to football. Thank you. 
I got one. All right. Am I right? Um, it's just what I think, and I'll go to war with anybody about it. But that has zero value. Okay. Or if I think, you know, nine bark purple Diablo shrub is superior to a Wajila. And I know that makes no sense to you guys, but it does to me, right? But I know what the plants look like, how they grow. I know where they do well. That matters to me. Um, but that's nothing to fight over. But the biggest conflict that we have as people is internal. Asking questions such as, why am I here? What do I believe? And what is the absolute truth? And there has to be absolute truth to everything. So when we talk about what we believe, it has to be rooted in absolute truth. And we can answer those three questions that I just posed by answering a fourth one. What must I do to be saved? The answer lies within the Bible. This morning in uh, the class that I'm teaching on our statement of faith, the first article is the scriptures. Everything that we need to know is in the Bible. It is sufficient, right? Sufficient, certain, and authoritative rule. It's the good news of the gospel. So, how are we saved by the gospel? What exactly is the gospel? For those of you taking notes this morning, I'm going to break this down into four points, and they're not exhaustive, okay? Four questions. Number one, what is the gospel? Number two, what is the gospel call? And number three, what does the gospel do? And number four, how does the gospel shape the culture in the church? All right, and we're going to spend most of our time in John 3.16, and we're going to bounce around a little bit. So you guys know me how I teach. We're going to, we're going to be jumping around, okay? So John 3.16, again, the word of the Lord tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay? John 3.16 shows us the greatness of God's love toward us. That is, it is deep. It is endless. It is overflowing. The gospel, at its core, is the good news of Jesus Christ, of the, the promised Messiah coming down from heaven to save sinners like us. And we get the word gospel from the Greek word euangelion, which translates to the good news. So we have to ask ourselves, well, if there's good news, then there has to be bad news, right? Um, and if there is good news, there has to be bad news. And nobody likes the bad news, right? Nobody likes to throw on the TV and you see the news and it's all just chaos, right? You want to see something that's like hopeful, joyful. Nobody likes bad news. But in order to understand the good news, we have to hear the bad news. And the bad news is that we as people, we have sinned against a holy and a perfect God. R.C. Sproul says that our greatest dilemma is that God is so righteous and we are not. The Bible shows us that in Genesis 3, we fell into sin and imme almost immediately after being created, right? We couldn't even contain ourselves. Adam and Eve fell in the garden by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when their eyes were opened, they made a pathetic, conceited attempt to cover their nakedness using fig leaves. To give you guys an idea, there are three plants in that hallway that are fig trees. 
You can ask me later if you want to know. I will not charge you, okay? But you can see those trees, they're not going to hold up, right? When leaves come off a tree, they die. They don't hold up. So this was their, like I said, their conceited attempt to cover their nakedness, to, to cover their sin. So sin enters into mankind, and they've now committed cosmic treason. All of creation is now affected by sin. But God, in his kindness toward them, instead of crushing them, which is what they deserved, right? This, these creatures from the dirt are defying the holy and perfect God. They deserve to be crushed. He shows them mercy and grace. And he makes a true sacrifice. And he clothes them. And he promises them redemption. Pastor Andrew read in our call to worship, Genesis 3, verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So even from the very beginning, Yahweh promises to send a redeemer. So instead of saying, no, you're dead, he says, no, I'm going to make you alive. I'm going to redeem you. Some of you may remember in the summer of 2021, the elders here at Christ Community Church preached through a series about the covenants. The covenants were divine promises that God made with his people. And they all have their yes in Jesus. Jesus is the answer and the only answer to how I must be saved. It is by the name Jesus alone that anybody can be saved. So no feeble attempt to cover your sin is good enough. We have to trust in Jesus alone. So how does God accomplish this? If we look back at John chapter 3, verse 16, how does God accomplish it? He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. The love that the Father for us is so clearly on display when he manifests himself in the very person of Jesus Christ. God came down in flesh. The second person of the Trinity comes to earth, puts on our flesh. He lives a sinless life, but dies a sinner's death. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And just as we're learning right now, as we continue next week in our study through Exodus and the Ten Commandments, Jesus is the only one that could fulfill the law. There's nothing that we could have done. We could not have held to all of the commandments perfectly because Jesus was truly God and truly man. He was the perfect person to fulfill the law. We are unable to keep the whole law, which is why Jesus had to come and he had to do it for us in our place. And not only does God love the world, that is the elect or his bride, the bride of Christ, but he so loved the world. And there's an intensity that he puts on this on how God displays his love. The love that Jesus has for his bride is incomprehensible. Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he says, Jesus does not love like us. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit, and Jesus loves until the end. Jesus loves his bride so much that he died for her to redeem her. The love of God is endless, it is boundless, it is limitless, and it endures to the end. So God loves us that, so much that he gave us Christ to go to the cross in our place, to endure his wrath, to empty the cup until it was completely exhausted, which is why we can rejoice because we don't have to face that wrath. But that's for those who profess Jesus. He did all of these things for those who are undeserving. So that's the gospel. 
So what is the gospel call? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he demonstrates his love for us, that he gave his only son, he promised the Redeemer in Genesis 3, and now he has arrived. And he says that whoever believes in him, the gospel, or the call of the gospel is to repent and to believe it. So like I said earlier, the bad news is that we are all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just like we confess together today in our confession and pardon led by Pastor Zach, like if we deceive ourselves if we say that we have not sinned. No, we have sinned greatly. We are good at sinning. And if you have kids, you know we are good at sinning, right? Kids are little sinners, and we have to teach them that you are sinner, you are bad, but Jesus is good. These are like the, the essential things of the that we have to teach our kids, right? We can't just teach that Jesus is good without showing them that they are bad. Because of our sin, we fall short. Another way of saying that is we miss the mark of God's glory and we will spend eternity in hell apart from his grace if we do not repent and believe the gospel. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 37 says, and we're going to read through 39. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So this is the same question. What must I do to be saved? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So Peter gives this sermon on the lordship and the authority of Christ after being rebuked and being called a drunk for speaking in tongues. And Peter basically says, like, dude, it's nine in the morning. Like, we're not drunk. Um, And they were preaching the gospel. And he answers the question, what shall we do? In verse 38, he says, repent and be baptized. For the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance requires that we acknowledge our sin before God and we confess it and ask for forgiveness because we have sinned so greatly against him. We have to repent and confess that Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a guarantee, right? God is speaking to us and we believe his word to be true, So we take that truth and we believe it. God says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, if you repent of your sins, you will be saved. That's the only work that you have to do to be saved. Acknowledge your sin and confess. This is why we do this every Sunday. Because we are still living in these bodies that are riddled with sin. It's an already not yet. And we're waiting for the new kingdom. But we repent of our sins um, by ourselves and we repent as a whole because as a church, the bride has played the harlot against, his bri- against the bridegroom. So we confess our sins. But one day we're not going to be confessing our sins. One day it's all going to be gone. So it means that as repenting our sins, we have to deny ourselves. And what the gospel does is that it changes our disposition toward our sin. Instead of embracing our sin, 
we have to put it away. We have to flee from it, right? We have to run from our sin, and we have to confess it, and we have to walk with Christ in obedience. So like I said, we're still doing this today in our own bodies. We have to confess our sins, and we have to take Christ by faith. And faith in Christ consists of three things. Knowledge, assent, and trust. We have to first know who Jesus is. We talked about this in in class this morning. This is the only book that has the saving knowledge of who Jesus is, right? This is the only book that tells us who Jesus is, what he did, and where he is right now, and what he is doing. This is the only book that gives us that truth. No other source is needed. It is sufficient. So we have to know who Jesus is, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised according to the scriptures. These things are true. So we have to know who Jesus is. God's word is the only true source. To quote, again, our statement of faith or the abstract of principles, the only, it is the only sufficient, certain, and authoritative rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. It tells us who he is, how we can have faith in him, and how we can walk with him in obedience. But we also must assent to the truth of these claims of Jesus in the Bible. It's not just enough to simply agree. So again, my example is earlier is about the shrubs. Okay, you guys can say like, all right, well, you're right because you know. No, you have to believe it because I'm telling you, all right? You have to believe these things to, to be true. You can't just be like, all right, well, he's right. Even this morning as I'm preaching the gospel, you can't just be like, all right, well, that sounds good. All right, yeah, I can get on board with that. You have to believe these things to be true, that these claims about Jesus are inherently true, that Jesus is truly God and truly man, that he fulfilled the law in his ministry and in his death, that he went to the cross, that he died for our sins, that he raised from the dead, and that he ascended and he's with the Father at the right hand and he's ruling and reigning as our king right now. Again, God is not just asking us simply to agree with the gospel. In the original Greek text of John 3.16, this would more like say something like, whoever believes into him. It's not enough to just come to church, hear the Bible, agree with whatever I'm saying or whatever teacher is saying. We have to believe by faith that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That only he can wipe away our sins for all eternity. That the promises of God all have their yes in Christ. Like I said earlier, there has to be absolute truth in everything. That we can only stand before a perfect and righteous God if we trust in the righteousness of Christ to cover us. Right? We can't stand before God with our dirty laundry and say, like, well, this is all I've got. It's not good enough. When, Jesus, when, when, we're, when we go to see the Father, whether he takes us right now or when the new kingdom enters, we have to trust in the righteousness of Christ to be our righteousness, to stand before God. Because we are so unholy apart from the holiness of Christ. And we have to believe in Jesus in such a way that we are brought into Christ, that we are brought into a union with him, right? Like we have to believe into Christ. We become part of him. And obviously we can't believe in Christ in such a way without the power of the Holy Spirit revealing to us the beauty of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is the one that shows us who Jesus is. So it brings us to our next point. What does the gospel do? Let's go back to John 3.16. 
can I ask a huge favor of somebody? I need water, and I forgot to bring my bottle up here. If I can just have some, Pastor Z, thanks, dude. I should have been more prepared, right? <clears throat> what does the gospel do? For God so loved the world, he demonstrates his love. He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, right? There's the condition that we believe in him, should not perish but have eternal life. The gospel makes us alive, right? But God demonstrates his own love for us. Even while we are dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. We are dead apart from God making us alive. Um, you see these examples a lot, a lot in merchandising where these, these things like giving Jesus titles that he doesn't actually reveal himself as. Um, for example, like Jesus is my lifeguard. Jesus is not your lifeguard. He is your king. He is your savior. He is the one that makes you alive. He brings a dead body to life, okay? Before Jesus, you were not drowning. You were at the bottom of the ocean. Doesn't sound like a good lifeguard. Thanks, dude. Right? The job of a lifeguard is to save those who are drowning. Well, you're already dead. You are in the bottom of the ocean. You are a dead corpse, and God makes you alive because of Christ. We see that example. We see that when we do baptisms. We are buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of life. And it's only by the power of the gospel that this happens. The gospel says that, and here's the thing, even the gospel makes us even more alive than we are right now. One day, like I said, we're going to be without sin. We're going to be glorified. We are going to be like Christ, even to the point where we don't even know what sin tastes like. And it's going to be awesome. And this is what we hope in. This is what we rejoice in. This is why we gather here as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ, as we sit at the table and say thank you, as we sit under the authority of the word. This is why we do these things. It's not in vain. Our faith is not futile because these things are true. Christ did these things. It means that through the power of the Holy Spirit, dead, lifeless souls are made alive in Christ by faith. And we will not die, but we will live forever. So it means that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will spend for all eternity with him in a new creation with new glorified sinless bodies. So for me, you know, we get these pictures of the Garden of Eden, okay? Horticulture route here. I love gardening. I love plants. I love trees. I love these things. So when I think about garden and I think about shalom and there's perfect peace, I think about my workload being easier. There's no weeds to pull, okay? Things are blooming, right? There's less work for me to do. There's still work, but things are doing what they have to do. But because of sin... We have diseases, we have insects, there are things that kill plants and trees. So when I think about new creation, man, it's going to be like the garden before sin. It's going to be at perfect peace, perfect shalom, right? The beauty of God's glory on display. No more sin. <clears throat> so the gospel begins by exposing our sinfulness. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to our sin and we are drawn to the Father through Jesus Christ. Our hearts of stone have been transformed into a heart of flesh. It makes us alive. And this transformation changes literally everything about us. It changes our desires. 
Again, our disposition towards our sin. It changes our motives. Jesus makes himself the object of our, of our desire rather than the gratification of our flesh, right? We don't make Jesus anything. He already is king. We don't make him Lord of our life. He is Lord of our life. But by believing in Jesus Christ, that he came, that he died, that he died the penalty for our sin, that he rose again on the third day, the Bible says that we will, we will be saved. We are then justified or made right before God because the righteousness of Christ is now our righteousness. We cannot do anything to merit his righteousness. You can't sit here for an hour and think that's enough. It's not enough. You have to confess your sins and confess that Jesus is Lord. Because we have been made right now, we have been made justified before God, we're able to approach his throne of grace with confidence knowing that we've been received by him. And because we are made right, I'm sorry, even though our hearts have been changed, renewed, we are still subject to this sin. Like I said, we're in this already not yet stage. We still sin. Our salvation is not complete and it will be complete in the new creation when Jesus comes to return to judge the living and the dead, destroy sin once and for all. That's the completion. And he's going to make all things new. That's why we're here. We rejoice in this. So the gospel is offered to all, and they can receive Christ if they simply just forsake their sin, turn to Christ, and believe in him. They will be granted eternal life with Christ. This is the promise of the gospel. We're not here for no reason, right? Pastor Kevin says this all the time. We're beggars telling other beggars where to find the bread. But because we are living in these bodies and we still are subject to our sin, it's incredibly important that we as believers dedicate ourselves to the reading of our Bibles accompanied by prayer. Okay? That we need to be reminded of these truths. You know, we can fall into periods of doubt, of darkness, sometimes even sin, egregious sin. These things still remain true regardless of what we're going through. This is what we're holding on to, Right? We're holding on to these truths, and Jesus is the one that has the hold on us, right? He's the one that's gathering his sheep together, and he's got the hold on us. We have to remind ourselves of these truths. We need to keep these truths fresh in our minds and in our hearts and pray that God would make our hearts believe because Jesus is better. He is better than everything else. So lastly... How does the gospel shape the culture in the church? Right? Jesus is saving individuals, but again, he's gathering his sheep from all over the world. He's gathering them together. We have these local bodies that are worshiping Jesus this morning. The gospel is not only about saving individuals, but he's saving his church. He's redeeming his bride. Jesus is gathering his sheep from all the corners of the globe, and the gospel changes the culture of the church. The love of God is manifested in those who have been saved, by his grace through faith, and his word is sanctifying us, but the love of God is even on more display, especially to those who are watching us that don't know Jesus, it's more on display when Christians gather together as the body of Christ and display his love to one another. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. The natural response for a Christian is, God has so greatly loved me, we will do likewise. By loving one another, right? That should be our natural response. 
We are his people, and we are to act like it. In Exodus chapter 20, as we're learning now through our Ten Commandments series, just before Yahweh gives the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments, his written word, right? God has spoken to us through his written word. This is what he requires us to be perfect people. He reminds them that he is their God and he is the one that brought them out of slavery. We identify with who God is and what he has done for us and we respond appropriately by manifesting the attributes of God. So the church ought to be a place of grace, of gratitude, of humility, of peacefulness, and of love, all cultivated by the, all cultivated by the power of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying those who have been called and saved by Jesus Christ. That's what the church ought to be. Ray Ortland says, gospel doctrine creates gospel culture, and it matters. So why does it matter? Because we've been called to display the glory of God so that the gospel can be heard and seen by unbelievers so that they too can be redeemed. It matters greatly what we believe. Truth matters. The gospel matters. What we believe about Jesus, the Bible, it all matters greatly. It has weight. It has significance. And the gospel calls us to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and to be part of a local body to worship Jesus with other believers. This is what we're called to do. You're not here in vain. You're not here by coincidence. If you're new here, we're thankful that you're here and you're here to hear the gospel. That's not by coincidence. God is sovereign and he brought you here for a reason. I want to end with one last quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him that is Christ. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. We mu- you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. So my question for you this morning is, what do you believe about the Bible? Because we got to get this right. Even as we teach our kids, we have to get this right. What do we believe about the Bible? What do you believe about Jesus? If you're not trusting this morning in Jesus as your Savior, I beg you, take Christ by faith. You're not promised tomorrow. You're promised today. And you can take Christ by faith if you repent and believe that Jesus is Lord. He can wash your sins away for all eternity. And you can share in the same hope that the rest of us do that profess Jesus. If you are trusting in Jesus this morning and you're having doubts and maybe things seem hopeless and dark, preach the gospel to yourself because these things are true. Jesus said not to lose heart and he's coming soon. So we can... Take heart this morning, church, because our King is coming back. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for 
this Sunday Sabbath rest in the work of Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful that it is finished. We're thankful that the work was done by Jesus Christ because he could do it. Because he is truly man and truly God and he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the promises that you made to redeem us. Father, thank you for even saving us at all. Lord, I ask this morning, if anyone in here, if they're not trusting Jesus as Savior, I pray, Lord, that you would convict them and break their hearts over their sin. That they would confess and acknowledge their sin and repent and take Jesus by faith. Lord, for us, as we profess Christ as our Savior, I pray that we would not lose heart. I pray that we would rejoice this morning because he is alive. We, we worship a risen king. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts full of joy now as we move to our time of sitting at your table and saying thank you to our King Jesus for what he's done. Lord, give us grace this morning. We ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.